Hello, um, and thank you for joining us for this podcast. Uh, today it is March 23rd, so it's one week since the Fed uh, raised rates for the first time since 2019 and embarked on a, uh, or sort of told the market that they're embarking on a series of rate hikes over the next uh, couple of years at least. And so we wanted to give an update on uh, credit markets, how they behaved before and how they behaved since the Fed. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased to be joined by my colleagues, uh, Nelson Jansen, who looks after uh, strategy for the high yield and levered loan markets, uh, Rashad Aluwalia, who looks after strategy for the CLO market, and my colleague in investment grade, uh, Nate Rosenbaum. So just for some, some context, it's been a poor year of poor performance in, in credit. Uh, the return on high grade credit is down about eight and a half percent. High yield is down about 5% while loans and CLOs down less than a percent have been the strong uh, outperformers across the, the, the group. Um, also, we've seen an interesting divergence in, in fund flows with very strong uh, inflows into loan funds, um, uh, strong outflows from high yield funds over 6% of AUM and modest but still negative or outflows from high grade funds as well. So investors are, are making clear choices that they're, they're favoring loans, floating rate product there. And then also issuance across markets has been quite diverse. Um, the high grade market has issued over 400 billion year to date. It's on track to actually issue more than the fourth quarter of last year, while issuance and high yield is down over 70%, loans down 60%, CLOs down 50%. So, um, you know, divergent performance between the different products, divergent fund flows between the different products, and divergent uh, patterns from companies borrowing issuance patterns across the products. And these are the topics that we're going to explore um, uh, today. So I'm going to actually start with investment grade and, and with Nate. Um, so, you know, the Fed obviously uh, surprised the market. It was a hawkish uh, meeting. And, and since then, uh, Chairman Powell has maybe turned even more hawkish with his comments you know, how has that impacted the curve, uh, you know, long end versus short end in investment grade? Yeah, thanks, Eric. Um, so, you know, so I think what's interesting on curves is that on the surface, it looks like the long end has done the worst. You know, it's down 14% uh, year to date, whereas the front end is only down 3.5%. Uh, but when you kind of look under the hood a little bit more, uh, it's actually the front end that's underperformed the most. You know, spreads are 45 basis points wider for the front end. Uh, versus just 30 basis points, you know, for the long end. And even in terms of those total returns, you know, negative 14% for the long end uh, isn't nearly as big of a deal as three and a half, being down three and a half percent is, you know, for the front end. Uh, you know, you think about it sort of in standard deviation terms, this is a four standard deviation event uh, for the front end, something we haven't seen in years and years and years. You know, front end investors don't typically expect to lose any money. Uh, and recently, they've been losing a lot, uh, whereas long-end investors are kind of used, a lot more used to that kind of mark-to-market volatility. Um, and so as a result of this, you know, you've seen pretty large outflows at the front end. About 55% of all the outflows in high grade this year uh, have been in front-end centric funds. Um, and so this kind of put pressure on front-end spreads, you know, more so than, than the rest of the curve. Uh, you know, at this point, we think there's a fair bit of value there on the front end. Uh, you know, you think about break-evens, yields would have to go up another 140 basis points in the front end 
uh, for your total return to be negative from here. And we think that's relatively unlikely. Uh, the long end seems to us to be kind of closer to fair value at this point in thinking about, say, 10s, 30s spread curves. You know, you do have pretty decent demand uh, from the overnight in investor community uh, out of Asia and Europe, uh, but that demand, you know, can fade pretty rapidly. Uh, and as well, we do think you'll see pretty steady demand, you know, from the pension fund community uh, domestically as funding ratios, you know, have improved to the best they've been since, uh, since pre-2008. Um, but again, you know, we think those, those, uh, those flows are somewhat unpredictable and we think a lot of it could actually end up more in the 10 and 20 year part of the curve than the long end. Um, so, you know, we don't think, we don't see as much of a catalyst for the long end as, as the front end here. So we'd focus more on the front end and searching for value after this sell off. And let's, let's turn now to you, uh, Nelson, you know, pre-Fed, uh, post-Fed, what are you seeing in the high yield and leverage loans market? Sure. So we're seeing, uh, you know, both prices uh, and spreads tighten. Uh, prices are moving higher and spreads are tightening uh, for both high yield and loans, uh, you know, following uh, a sell-off that got levels to levels we haven't seen since 2020. Uh, you know, this is despite an acceleration of retail outflows for high yield. Uh, which reached the highest level on record for the ETFs on Monday. In other words, the market, uh, you know, appropriately discounted what the Fed delivered, uh, you know, with the sell-off coming in. Um, also, there's been some easing at growth concern, that, and that's clearly, you know, a very big influencer of, of high yield uh, spreads. So if you look at, you know, levels, you know, high yields recovered about a buck um, or 15% of its year-to-date decline in prices. You know, with rates serving as a headwind, but we've seen spreads move in at considerable 50 basis points off of last week's wide. Uh, so we're now at, at 423 on our index. It would begin the year at 375, but we're still 125 basis points inside the long-term average. So clearly, the market's not suggesting that there's a, uh, a substantial amount of stress on the way, despite the negative return that we're seeing. In terms of uh, the themes that we're seeing, we're seeing outperformance down in quality. Uh, and in commodity consuming sectors is that focus has shifted away uh, you know, from the events in Russia and, you know, and towards uh, you know, the increase in rates that we've seen. Uh, and this shift in focus toward rates has fueled outperformance of loans versus bonds uh, in the past few sessions. So we're seeing the loan product, it's now recouped 40% of that far less severe $3 uh, peak to trough decline we saw between late January and mid March, and we're also seeing heavy inflows uh, resurface now uh, for floating rate loan funds. Uh, we did see the first withdrawal going all the way back to early December of last week, and we're seeing that accelerate here. So clearly a, a more hawkish narrative has reasserted itself in, in, in credit markets over the past week. And uh, next, uh, Rashad, uh, CLOs, you know, obviously return volatility is much lower uh, in CLOs than um, in high grade or high yield. Um, what, is, what have you seen in terms of performance the last few days? Um, and also, if you could comment a little bit on uh, supply, I know you've recently reduced your expectation on how much CLO issuance will happen this year. Yeah, no, that's a good point in terms of CLOs, um, and I guess loans to some degree, uh, outperforming in the run-up to last week, um, <clears throat> given the volatility. So, you know, CLOs and loans down less than a percent, but that's a double-edged sword because they didn't sell off quite as much. So CLOs um, haven't really rallied last week. And we've seen this growing dislocation, if you will, between CLOs and broader markets. So for example, 
the triple A's are the benchmark tranche to the main financing tranche to buy the loans in the first place. So those haven't really budged in the last week or two. They've remained north of 140 basis points spread. Whereas, you know, your market, Nate's market, high grade is tightened, like I think 17, 18 basis points or so around the week, this is the same level. Uh, and even CMBS, which actually is also a good um, leading indicator of CLO pricing for the AAA top side has tightened like five, seven basis points this week already. Uh, there is a bit less of a lag in more junior bonds. So triple Bs and double Bs, single Bs, uh, which are uh, trading at very wide yields, high yields, um, have widened on the month um, <clears throat> into the Fed and, and, and a bit of stable afterwards, but on a relatively low order magnitude than triple A's. And I think that that's due to the fact that the yields already quite high to begin with. So investors haven't really sold them off quite as much. They're more adding, adding to them, whereas triple A's have been a bit, bit tight relative to a, the sell-off in high grade and CMBS. To your question on new issue, I mean, look, it's, it's down, as you said, 50, 60%. It's in line with loans, to be, to be fair. Uh, I wouldn't say it's particularly uh, dislocated as badly as it was in 2020 when we had the COVID sell-off. And I would argue back then, and, and we wrote about it, that CLOs and loans were in a sort of negative feedback loop between the two. Uh, it's not quite the same today, but issues has slowed. So you're right, we did lower our forecasts um, from 130, 140 billion. Uh, to a 110 to 120 billion, to call it 115 billion range for this year. The backstory is, I'll say two things. The backstory is CLO supply would have been lower anyway, because last year was a record 183 billion, highest year ever, in large part due to CLO managers and underwriters pushing deals that would have priced this quarter into last quarter, Q4 of last year, to get ahead, get ahead of LIBOR transition. <clears throat> there was a slowdown in January, but February actually was quite active, with 15 billion of supply, which is kind of a normal, normal month. But then with the geopolitical risk uh, and, and broader market sell-off um, and loan supply dwindling, and the latter part more important, um, that's kind of what made us change our view. It's not a huge change. Um, we're still calling for a fairly active year. But having said that, we're only at about 28 billion or so year to date. So we've got a, we've got a lot of wood to chop, so to speak. Um, so we'll see how it goes in the next sort of like few months or so. Turn back to you, Nate. You know, we've had uh, minus... 8.6% return for the high grade market this year. You know, that's a, a worse performance than an equity market. Uh, you know, fixed income asset class where generally people uh, probably uh, expect less fall. Um, and yet the, we've seen outflows, but they're only about 0.7% uh, of AUM of the money in, in high grade bond funds. Um, you know, so it's, it's a pretty uh, modest reaction to the negative returns. Um, what are your thoughts on what's driving that? Yeah, in terms of uh, you know supply and demand, I think there's there's a couple of things at play here. I think you know first of all, when we think about that uh, that fund flow universe, um, it's just it's a smaller part of our market, um, and so its impact is kind of lessened. Uh, and also, you know, beneath that, it seems to us that a lot of those funds. Um, you know, are a little bit more institutional in nature, perhaps, as we go through time than, than they had been historically. You know, 401k type flows, uh, rebalancing flows. Um, and so they're not as sensitive to returns, you know, as they had been historically. Uh, and I think the most sort of the, the tangible takeaway here is that, you know, supply follows demand. And so demand has remained relatively strong, you know, as you pointed out, both on the mutual fund ETF complex, but more importantly, across the rest of, of the institutional complex. Um, and so demand in high grade is actually, you know, is up 
uh, versus last year, as, as you pointed out, whereas for the other markets, it's down. Um, and so, and that's, I think, an interesting, you know, aspect of all this in terms of how supply you know, has been quite heavy, you know, has followed demand, but has also perhaps surpassed demand at times over the last couple of weeks a little bit, and that's put pressure on spreads. Uh, you know, you came into the year with a pretty decent uh, M&A financing backlog, about $130 billion, uh, of which about half of that has already been funded, you know, in the first part of the year. Uh, and some of those deals have definitely, you know, put a little bit of pressure on the market uh, and been big factors in supply. Uh, you've also had very heavy financials issuance from banks, uh, both U.S. banks and Yankee banks, kind of looking to shore up liquidity uh, as the Fed begins to, to pull back. Uh, and also a function of, you know, non-dollar markets have been pretty shut uh, so far this, this year. And so that's driven a lot more supply kind of into uh, the dollar market kind of mapping to, to that supply. You know, at the end of the day, what, you know, what matters most in our market for demand is yields uh, for the most of our buyer base. And so given the fact that yields are at, you know, multi-year highs here, uh, that has kept you know demand pretty robust uh, overall, and that's kind of driving what what you pointed to. So we are um, discussing here credit markets, and credit markets have you know at times, of course, credit risk. Um, you know, so far in this conversation, we actually it hasn't come up, which I think is interesting um, and and logical given our views. Um, I'm just going to start uh, with Nelson and then back to you, Nate, um, just on the state of credit fundamentals. Uh, balance sheets, uh, and also, Nelson, for you, uh, default forecasts, you know, we've seen a big sell-off. Uh, there's a discussion of about the risks of recession, um, not this year probably, but as people look at the yield curve and think about the Fed's path. Um, and I know you just uh, recently published, uh, you know, coming into this year, how do you see credit metrics in high yield, um, and have you changed or you remind us of your default forecast and whether you think that requires any or may require any revision uh, given the events so far this year. Sure. Uh, just to start, you know, our forecast uh, for default rates this year is 75 basis points in one and a quarter next year. Yeah, I think important when I think about the contours of the sell-off, you know, prices on high yield are down $7 year to date. However, you've seen absolutely no change in the distressed universe. So the market's not sending a signal. Uh, that there's been a meaningful shift around credit risk. Yeah, we went through uh, you know, the latest credit fundamentals this morning and published on this, uh, but sort of the most notable observation is we're seeing leverage come down pretty sharply, uh, particularly uh, if we exclude two sectors which are still emerging from COVID, uh, gaming and leisure and transport. If we strip those out of the leverage metric, we're actually at a decade low already. Uh, uh, and I think that sort of you know, reflects the cleaner constituent base we have in the aftermath of the default wave as well as the fallen angel wave uh, that we saw back in 2020. We have coverage metrics, which are at a record high. Uh, you know, we've got CapEx expanding at the fastest uh, pace in a decade, you know, as confidence, uh, business confidence improves. And then most importantly, you know, despite some sector-specific dispersion, uh, we're actually seeing profit margins hold in. Um, so the latest figures have that 230 basis points above the long-term average. There is some dispersion underneath. So some of those sectors you might think would be hit by inflationary pressures, paper and packaging, retail, food and beverages uh, are seeing some larger pressure. So I think this will be the element to look at you know, in the quarters ahead. But I think sort of stepping back, heading into this downturn, clearly, you know, the fundamental 
fundamental base uh, or metrics for the for the market uh, are in a good way, place to withstand um, you know, these recent uh, disruptions. Nate, please. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think a similar picture uh, in high grade in that we came into, uh, you know, this latest quarter uh, in pretty good shape, you know, fundamentally. Uh, revenue and EBITDA, you know, growing uh, at double digit levels, uh, you know, profit margins improving, you know, modestly. Um, and kind of most importantly, you know, we reversed the entire spike in leverage that you had during the initial phases of, of COVID. Um, you know, that's kind of the positives. Uh, the, the negatives, on the other hand, are that, you know, leverage does remain relatively elevated at three times, uh, you know, relative to kind of longer term history. Uh, and over this course of this year, you know, we're going to be on the receiving end uh, of a number of rising stars, you know, which will enter the high grade market, you know, with relatively more elevated leverage. Uh, these are obviously companies, you know, that are coming into high grade because they've done the right thing fundamentally. So their trajectory is good, uh, but they will kind of add to the leverage in our market. Uh, and as well, you know, what's a little bit concerning to us is that shareholder payouts uh, have begun to, to rise kind of meaningfully uh, after they were cut uh, at the peak of COVID. Um, you, know, and, you know, taking into account the fact that uh, interest expense is likely to go up from here, given that coupons on new issues are now, you know, going to be quite a bit higher. Uh, you know, the yield on our index has surpassed the coupon on our index for the first time since 2018. Uh, so kind of an indication of where things are, are headed. Um, and so, you know, we're, we think the high grade market is in a pretty good place uh, fundamentally, but there are definitely uh, some, you know, some headwinds, which we think we will we'll be able to, to overcome. Um, as a final question, I'd like to, you know, uh, sort of be a little forward looking from now um, until year end in terms of outlook and, and positioning thoughts. Um, you know, just for a, a reminder, you know, using the spread forecasts that we have across the products and uh, the rates forecasts from our colleagues uh, who focus on, on rates here at JP Morgan, um, from now to year end, uh, our, our view is high yield will do the best, uh, about six and a half percent total return. Um, loans, 5%, high grade 4.6, and, and CLOs 3.7. So, you know, versus all these figures being negative so far this year, you know, these are obviously uh, turnarounds that we're, um, we're, we're expecting. Um, I'm actually going to start first with, uh, with you, uh, Rashad, in terms of, you know, as you think about this turnaround, where across the capital structure do you see the best value? Yeah, so it's a good question. I think the even though was, even though um, junior tranches have held in fairly well, double Bs and triple Bs and, and, and equity and so on, um, I still think it's better value there. Um, I think that getting those kinds of yields, you're talking like eight, nine, 10% yields um, in double B CLOs, 12% in single Bs, you know, 15% yields plus in equity, it's hard to get for DM credit at the moment in these asset classes. So I think that's probably the best value. Um, I would say that for CLO debt, we would prefer short duration instruments like secondary paper, you know, prices have sold off a few points. So you could pick up a bit of upside there if, if you can get a bit of a spread rally and the bonds would put a pull to par. Um, I think CLO equity is probably my favorite pick at the moment. Um, it's not very liquid, it's unrated. Um, it's not for everybody, so to speak, but it's hard to achieve double yields today in fixed income or anything for that matter. And importantly, it's very hard to replicate CLO equity's profile. So you're locking in term funding 
for a number of years with very little or no mark-to-market in the structural rules. Um, and as you know, inflation is very high. A CLO cost of debt 3%. So you're getting a negative yield, a negative, negative um, financing yield effectively, implicitly as a CLO equity holder, which is hard to get other asset classes. So in summary, I think equity is the way to go. But for people who are not really able to take on relatively lower liquidity, then CLO deep is by, is by, is by pike. And, and Nelson, you're sort of, you look forward across the high yield and levered loan universe. Where are you focused now? Best opportunities? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think what we're seeing uh, up from the macro perspective is uh, emboldening uh, uh, my view around performance for loans. So our, you know, our full year forecast is four and a half percent or five percent from here. You know, the average floor is 70 basis points on 60% of the market. So we're going to start to see you know, the Fed's actions flow through uh, to coupons you know, beginning uh, sometime in June. Uh, you also believe that the loan products are uniquely positioned versus high yield, uh, given the substantial move in the forward curve we've seen recently. Uh, you know, if you look at the yield relationship with high yield, it, it's only really been here two times in the past five years heading into this year, ahead of that strong outperformance. Uh, in January, as well as heading into early uh, 2018, uh, when it also outperformed pretty substantially. So loans in particular, um, I, you know, I think are pretty well situated. Uh, you know, within high yield, um, yeah, we've got a 350 target that's 75 tighter from here. Um, importantly, our rate forecast, you know, it assumes that rates don't move up from here. Um, but, but yields, you know, six and a half percent, I think it's positioned okay. I think trading down in, in quality, um, single Bs uh, and, and triple Cs will probably yield the best performance for high investors. Um, and then finally, uh, back to you, Nate, you already uh, talked about the curve and how the short end has underperformed and so may have a chance to rebound, but also how the long end gets supported with higher yields, um, which is the JP Morgan forecast for, for higher yields. Um, also, um, I know you've done some work uh, recently looking at uh, ratings, you know, triple B versus single A. So if you want to sort of summarize your thoughts across that, that'd be great. Yeah. So I think where we'd focus is, you know, as you just mentioned on curve, focus on the front end. Uh, and then on ratings, you know, I think that's where we want to start to go a little bit more up in quality. Uh, as we move through the year, you know, we've seen single A's uh, lag. Uh, a fair bit, and some of that's been supply pressures, which we think should kind of resolve itself uh, as uh, as supply kind of declines into earnings blackouts over the next couple of weeks. Um, as well, you know, kind of more longer term, given you know the rise in yields and most of our uh, investor base being yield oriented, they just don't need to stretch as much to hit their yield targets and buy triple Bs, where single A's. Uh, you know, now makes sense uh, as well. You know, the new NAIC rules kind of incentivize less triple B minus buying and more, you know, higher quality double A, single A buying. So we see some pretty good structural reasons for single A's to kind of outperform uh, versus triple B's, you know, over the remainder uh, of the year. Uh, and, you know, perhaps one of the sectors where we'd uh, try to implement that a little bit at the moment uh, would be some of the things that have, you know, traded relatively wide lately. Uh, you know, Yankee banks uh, would be at the top of the list, uh, obviously, as a result of uh, the crisis in Ukraine. Uh, some of those have traded quite wide, um, you know, despite not having sort of capital issues as a result of, of what's happened. 
uh, as well as some of the auto parts manufacturers uh, and some of the integrated energy issuers uh, look interesting to us uh, as a way to kind of implement those, those views. Great. Well, I want to thank my colleagues for their thoughts and thank you for listening to this podcast. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded in February 2022.